0: Welcome to Local Matters, the radio show about all things affecting Central Kentucky, with Alan Stein and Skip Elliott, brought to you by Citizens Commerce, switch one time for a lifetime. Welcome to Local Matters, a presentation of LM Communications, brought to you by Citizens Commerce Bank, switch one time for a lifetime. This week, we're happy to be able to spend some time with Lexington Mayor or candidate
1: Ronnie Baston, but my co-host. Mr. Allenstein, my pickleball partner, how are you tonight? Doing great, Skip. How are you? I'm great. Good deal, Ronnie. Thank you for taking the time out of what we know is a, a pretty busy schedule these days. Uh, running for mayor is a big deal, um, and it's important to all of us. So we're really thrilled to be able to have this discussion about things that do matter to all of our citizens. Citizens locally, I think I'll, I just want to begin by finding out a little bit about you. Uh, tell the audience. Um, you know, your background from where you came, how you got to this point, and then kind of add why in the heck are you doing this? That,
2: that's a very fair question. And thank you, uh, Alan Skip, for having me on today. This, uh, this has been an you know, a, a interesting part of my life, uh, making the decision to run for mayor. And I came from a little town right outside of Glasgow, Kentucky, a place called Heisfil. I grew up on a real small farm, a very poor background. I, uh, I was the first person in my family to go to college. I came to the University of Kentucky in 1975, pursued a degree in agriculture economics with a farm management specialty. And at that time, I thought maybe I wanted to go into the horse farm management business. I met my wife my sophomore year. We decided we couldn't live without each other and got married between our junior and senior year. So I soon found I had to eat and have a way to do that. Yeah. Uh, uh, Yeah. That that was a shock, but we had to figure out a way to do that. So I applied for a job at Blackburn on the prison farm doing what I knew how to do well. Um, It was part-time, and we didn't eat very well. And there was an opening three or four months after I'd worked there for a full-time correctional officer. And I applied for that and was fortunate to get it. So I actually had benefits and health insurance and, and made a little more money. We ate better. And all the while, we were going to college full-time. We both were. I was working night shift and and going to school full-time in the daytime at UK, finishing my degree. Um, I wound up staying at Blackburn for six and a half years. I was a correctional officer for two and a half and then was promoted to case manager. I I held a full-time caseload, did drug and alcohol counseling, those kind of things. Met some folks with the Lexington Police Department, was very uh, very interested in what they did and applied for the Lexington Police Department in 1984. Was fortunate to be selected and stayed there for the next a little over 30 years. Uh, the last seven years, I was chief of police. That was at a time when the economy was suffering from 2008 to 2015. Uh, so uh, that experience has really helped me and prepared me to, to lead because I had to learn how to prioritize and I learned, had to learn how to challenge the then existing culture of government of defaulting at throwing money at things in order to, to get things done. And uh, there were times when I had to, had 100 officers short of what we had traditionally had, and still had the expectation of getting the job done that we had to do within the community. So it was a great experience for me, and, and we grew as an agency during that time period. Based on what, uh, what I had done with police, fiscal responsibility, leadership, leadership development programs that we developed, and challenging government processes and re-engineering those, uh, Mayor Jim Gray asked me in 2000, January 2015 to take that leadership and what he had seen to all of public safety. In that role, I had the police department, fire department, the jail, 911, emergency management, and building security for the government, which accounted for 1,750 full time employees, which was over half of all government employees, and an almost $200 million budget. I came in within budget every year. I looked for better ways of doing things every day. I led without scandal, and uh, just I was very happy that the mayor had the confidence in me to give me that important responsibility. With that leadership experience, uh, you know, I've, I have a t- tremendous amount of experience now leading large, complicated, living, breathing, 24 /7 organizations with lots of people and lots of money. And the job of mayor is, is one of many things. But a big part of what the mayor does here in Lexington is run the government, a big, large, living, breathing, complicated organization. For me to step into that role and add the second half of that is going to be uh, going to be something that I look forward to and I feel prepared to do.
1: You know, uh, just kind of diving right in here, uh, that background is quite varied from agriculture to urban management, if you will, and to a very complex uh, organization. Uh, One of the things you mentioned was budget uh, and learning to manage a budget. Talk about some of the uh, issues you faced as chief uh, during the recession. How did you – what was important to you? How did you make those budget decisions, and where did we land? Well, the first thing that we found
2: ourselves having to do is prioritize because we knew we weren't going to be able to continue to carry all the things, responsibilities that we had and do it the way we'd done it in the past. So prioritization is critical if you're going to meet your, you know, the, the goals of your true mission, and you have to drill down and, and know what's near and dear to you. Uh, you know, I had a plan for doing that in stages. If we continued, the recessions continued to go, and we continued to lose resources and funding, how it would look and what stages we would take away functions that we were doing that we could no longer afford to do, all the while focusing on our core mission. Uh, we had to have people... In police cars on patrol to respond if a crime in progress was happening. That was our first mission. When people come, you have to have the ability to, to respond and and intervene and protect them. The second responsibility we had was to investigate crimes that had been reported uh, so that we we hold people accountable for criminal activity in the community. After that, the, the other functions are important but nice to have. Those are two primary functions and we knew all along that we had to maintain those two functions staffed at a level that we could continue to do the job effectively and so i had to learn how to prioritize and and i think we did that very well we uh we a couple of the years we had uh 100 clearance on homicides which is unheard of in the united states the national average for clearance of homicides is about 65 percent we always exceed that here in lexington we we're always above the national level. Why agenda. is that? It's because people trust us in the community. Um, you know, you see all these CSI shows and things, and they, they would have you believe that with modern technology, the technology will solve all crimes. And that's just not the case. I mean, at a basic level, people have to trust you enough to tell you that something happened to them. And then other people who may know details about that have to trust you enough to tell you what they know. Uh, That's the way you solve the overwhelming majority of cases, and this has been the way we've solved cases since the beginning of time. Uh, Modern technology helps us solidify cases and make them stronger, but unless you have the trust of people within the community to tell you when something happens and to tell you what they know about it, you're not going to be effective.
1: As chief and uh, possibly as mayor in the future, how do you build that trust, and how do you maintain it?
2: You build it one day at a time, one person at a time, and you do it by being transparent, honest, and accessible to people. Um, I believe in government being representative of all people within the community, and I, I've said this many, many times. I I think back to the what Abraham Lincoln said in the Gettysburg Address at the end of it. He said, a government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from this earth. But I think sometimes we have gotten away from that priority and realization that government was set up for people. And now we talk more about projects and other things and political things. But, you know, I've asked a number of groups, do you really believe that our government is of all the people, by all the people, and for all the people? And I I think we have some work to do with that.
1: So the answer to that most people are giving you is not 100%. That's right. Well, that's very interesting. So one of the things you have to do to build that trust, I guess, is to continue to reach out. And your experience as police chief is is vital in some areas. But how does that apply across the board?
2: Well, I think it applies across the board because you have to recognize that everyone uh, within the community wants to be connected and wants to have a voice within government. And they should have a voice within that. I've reached out to groups uh, since we started in the campaign that have told me they've never been reached out to uh, pockets of individuals and you know that's just sad because everyone should feel like this is a government that represents them one that they have a voice to and, and and that they have access to and that's just not the way
1: everyone feels in our community today. Well give me an example of how you would fix that.
2: You continue to reach out you let people know you are interested you're genuine in that and and you show by the makeup of your administrative staff once you go in office that you you value diversity and inclusion and that you are going to make sure that people's voices are heard and their concerns are are considered um you know i have a history of that and that's sometimes people don't stop and think of that but you know i led a minority recruitment effort with the police department many many years ago that was was recognized and we found some success not by some great idea that i had but we went to basics and we went to people with and leaders within the community and were an open book and sat and brainstormed and looked at ways we could work together recognizing where our system was failing us and we worked on that we built it together and we found success in that because people felt invested in it as police chief i, I had the opportunity to select my command staff my inner circle i selected the most diverse command staff in the history of the police department look at my campaign staff today i have younger folks older folks african-american male female i have a very diverse group around me right now doing what i'm doing the team that i'm i'm utilizing look at photos of, of the folks that had confidence in me that that walked with me in the fourth of july parade just a snapshot what you'll see is and, and one of our folks commented it's not my term but they said my gosh look at the photo we look like the united nations <laughs> and, and that's the way i'm proud of that I, well, that's the way we should absolutely.
1: be well, diversity is a key because we are a very diverse community. There's just no question about that.
0: When well, I moved up here yeah. 30 years ago, uh, there, it was diverse at that point, and it's even gotten better. I mean, I think there's some great exciting things that are happening in, in Lexington, especially what's going on downtown. What are your thoughts on the city hall and moving it and the, the Herald-Leader building possibly being the place or, or not or whatever like that?
2: Well, I stayed out of the, the decision-making process on purpose. I felt like that council – uh, had undertaken a, a mission to look at that and to do their due diligence and they were doing that i felt like it was unfair to get involved in that process i had a number of people on both sides of the issue pro and pro and con on the project that was proposed to try to get me involved and i said no they are folks who are elected to represent us who have taken on the process and they should be allowed to work through that process whatever their decision is on it if i'm the next mayor of Lexington then I will work with them to finance the project if they decide to move it forward. Or if they don't decide to move it forward, I'll provide the leadership to, to find the right solution for us. As I watched that, that process from, from a distance, I saw that they were having some issues getting a high level of consensus for the project. And, you know, a project that large that is going to require funding for 35 years at the level it was going to require – I think we'd all feel more comfortable if there's a higher level of cons- consensus and and more people of – well, more of our elected representatives uh, believe in the project and are comfortable with it than just a one-vote margin. So they they weren't able to get to that point. And I've, I've heard people talk about they were concerned with the process or there wasn't weren't enough people involved with it and wasn't transparent enough or whatever. For whatever reasons there were, the fact of the matter was there weren't enough people – on the council that felt comfortable, as as the situation occurred, to move forward with enough votes to build a high level of consensus. We need to do something. We have to do something. I will do something as our next mayor. But what I'll do is I'll I'll start a new process, and we'll make sure that it has the highest level of transparency that we possibly can, and that we have input from people so that we know what people's concerns are, what their needs are as we move forward. I think that's the way we build. Uh, consensus and get to a place to where we feel more comfortable with a major decision like this now one of the things that i I will say is sometimes within government we're not always good about maintaining what we have and we i know we have 22 million dollars of deferred maintenance on the current facilities um that's a question that hasn't gotten a whole lot of play in the community but you know why do we have 22 million dollars of deferred maintenance uh, typically, if one of us has a, a hole in our roof at the ho- our home, we recognize the need to fix it or we're going to have more deferred maintenance later right. on. So uh, whatever our solution is and whatever direction we go and whatever project we choose in the future, we have to make sure that we commit to maintain it so that we don't find ourselves in the same situation 20 or 30 years down the road.
1: Has anybody done an analysis of what that deferred maintenance looks like? How much of it is critical? And how much of it is perhaps deferrable?
2: Well, I'm not sure with that. I just know the total right. figure. But that's something that I want to go in and, and really look at. I'm a numbers person. My old ag economics background causes me to want to, to look at every figure and every line. And that's one of the things I'll be doing, just to look for answers to questions like that, Alan, as we move forward.
0: Right. You're listening to Local Matters, a presentation of LM Communications, brought to you by Citizens Commerce Bank, which one time... For a lifetime, back with our guest, Lexington mayoral candidate, Rodney, uh, Ronnie Baston. And uh, what what is your thought about, uh, back with the city hall and everything, they were talking about at some point putting the police department in there with it. What are your thoughts on, should the police department move away from where the government is, or should it be near?
2: Well, the police department needs to stay, the, the headquarters for the police department needs to t- stay in the downtown area, mm-hmm. regardless. And whether they we wind up putting it with the government center or not, that's that's open to discussion Mm -hmm. and feasibility but it can work if we do that or it can work as a separate entity but I I feel very strongly that both the police department and the government center need to stay downtown somewhere now in terms of an ideal location where downtown I'm not locked into a particular location Uh, and I'll say I thought the project that I saw the video that was uh, was online and so forth of the proposed project that was being considered looked like a good project to me but People didn't – our elected officials didn't feel comfortable enough to have a high enough level of consensus to move it forward at that time. So uh, I don't know if that will be a project that's considered in the future. If it's proposed, it will be, uh, and maybe others. But we will have a process that, at the end of the day, will give us what we need as a community from a government center in the most economical
1: way that we possibly can for our citizens. The next mayor is going to have the opportunity to continue forward – with a number of major projects that are happening in our community right now. Uh, we know as we drive around, especially those of us in the downtown area. Uh, <laughs> right by the Jefferson. There, Street grid, yeah, maybe? there is a lot of stuff going on. What are your feelings about some of those projects?
2: Well, Alan, I started on the police department, as I said, in nineteen eighty four and uh, I think back to the downtown that we had in nineteen eighty four and you know, I walked downtown on a weekend evening now and I cannot believe yeah. the transformation that we've seen in a relatively short period of time and it's really grown exponentially and become much much better in the last few years I mean it's just really taken on a life of its own so I'm very happy with our downtown I love our downtown and I want to keep that momentum going because I, I really sense it feel it and see it when I come downtown um, some of the great projects we have you know town branch commons the trail that's that's major to connect some of our trails and come through downtown, um, the civic center and convention center, the improvements. I think that's amazing. I mean, from a business standpoint and a business plan standpoint, we'll be able to to compete for and encourage conferences uh, to come in that we've never had the capacity to have before. So when you bring a conference into town, you bring dollars in for right. all the folks downtown in terms of restaurants and hotels and now we have hotel space that will accommodate so many good things are coming together and you know the past several mayors have been a big part of that and taking a leadership role so i want to continue that the convention center is going to be a a game changer for downtown lexington and our community in lexington town branch park i think can be transformational that is a a, yet another
1: piece that will add to what we're doing well that's an i don't mean to interrupt but that's an interesting piece of that Uh, because the town branch park itself uh, is going to be financed with private dollars Uh, and they're a long way from getting that done. Uh, Do you see government having to jump into that project?
2: I don't and here's why I say that. Um, Well let me first say how I see that happening. I support town branch park. I think it can be transformational. I think that's going to be a big piece of adding to what our convention center is going to bring in. It's going to it's going to put things together, and it's going to be a connector to our distillery district, which is another area that's really taking off and growing and booming. And uh, we, we're just really growing and doing good things right now in Lexington. But Town Branch Park, as you said, uh, is going to require some financing, and there has been an, an effort, ongoing effort, to raise private money for that. And I'm told we're at about an $8 million commitment on that with right. a needed $22 million. Um, government right now, as I see it, is not in a position to bond or fund the additional funding for that. Uh, we, Our revenues have been flattening. Construction jobs at U.K. have slowed, slowed down or, or almost stopped. Um, you know, we have rising costs. The debt service that we, we, uh, we have increased for some other projects that we had recently in, in downtown – so traditionally, we've we've had about a 10% debt service ratio for the total budget. Now we're at 11 or a little over 11, right. approaching 12. We are probably getting close to reaching a level of debt service that would cause us to have a lower bond rating and, and thus experience higher rates on any bonds that we had. So uh, we have to be careful. I, I'm not comfortable taking on more debt until we get some debt paid off. As we're looking at that flattening revenue an increased level of debt service, we're also looking at increased costs and expenses. Healthcare costs are going up significant, significantly. The state pension contribution, as we all know and have, have read about, has gone up significantly. We have built-in union contract raises into our police, fire, and corrections that are built in. And those are going to occur. We can see that cur- occurring. So we have increased debt service, flattening revenues, and increasing expenses on multi-levels in between. That, uh, from the way I look at it and the math I learned down in Barron County, that's going to cause us to be squeezed
1: some economically. Yeah, these next four years are going to be tough.
2: They are. We're going to we're gonna have to have someone steering the wheel that's comfortable prioritizing and really that ne- understands how to stretch dollars because in order to, to maintain the highest level of quality of life that we can and invest in the priorities, we're going to have to stretch the dollars that we have.
1: Well, anybody who runs any business, and government being one of those, understands that you've got x number of dollars that you have to spend expenses and they grow and so the top line is where you have some flexibility how do we increase the top line of revenues into our community
2: great question and i have have some good ideas on this one alan so uh, bear with me number one um, i think that that our community has done a good job and been competitive uh, attracting companies to lexington i think the folks at commerce lexington do a yeoman's work when it comes to that but we're in competition with a lot of other people other other communities want you know attractive businesses to come there too an area where i see that we really have an opportunity that we haven't haven't uh, seen full potential is working to, to help our business community small businesses thrive and we have eight thousand six hundred and thirty eight businesses in lexington that have at least one employee and that number is just staggering to me when I, when I found that out. I maybe think of a couple hundred, 150, 200 businesses that I see advertised and, you know, see vans drive around town or this or that or see on TV, but 8,638. And as I've gone to talk with business folks in the community, small businesses, both startups, recent startups, and long-term existing businesses, there have been some themes that, that have been somewhat surprising to me. And they've created opportunities, in my thinking, on what we can do to better serve that community. First off, we have to admit, small business is the lifeblood of our community and our economy. And we haven't been real good at being supportive of small business. As I talk to people who've recently started businesses that are now successful, they say that startup in in Lexington with businesses, there can be some challenges. And I've talked to some folks who felt like that the process was was pretty difficult to get through in some cases, receive conflicting information from one entity or the other within government. Uh, an idea that someone brought back from the chamber trip this year from Boise, Idaho was, they said, you know, this would have been so easy if we'd done it here. Boise has a, uh, an ambassador or a representative of the government that actually you take your business idea to, and it's a one-stop shop. And they help you navigate all of the approvals and all the right. government processes internally that you have to go through rather than you trying to go through a, an unfamiliar process. Yeah, right? our
1: experience in Boise was yeah. very clear about how much better that environment for small businesses was.
2: And, and that's that's critical. And if we want to be entrepreneur-friendly, then we have to rethink what we're doing. Right now, you know, we have a system to, to – you have to go through a permitting process and get fees and those kind of things. If we all know, and I believe, that the first year of any business, new business, the cash flow is the, the biggest threat to failure – If we know that and we want people to succeed and we want to help folks succeed, we need to evaluate whether we could maybe do without the first year permitting fee and defer it to the second year and not add to the burden and cash flow issue of that business the first year when we know that it's critical. Uh, If we help them be successful and help them get that business model figured out during the first year, then we potentially have a revenue stream from now on as a government. If we add to the burden and don't recognize that and add to the possibility the business could fail then we get a one-time permit fee and and then we lose the opportunity for the long term so I, I think there are things we definitely can look at with existing businesses I've been told by a number of people that say I've been successful i kind of figured this thing out on my own some of it was luck some of it was was uh, calculated but now I'm ready to expand and I know as I expand I'm going to be faced with decision points That are loaded with risk, and I don't feel like I have the expertise really to to manage that risk. And I feel like that the the services that we have in the community aren't robust enough to meet my needs. So I know there's some services that are here by a couple of groups, and I know they do good work. But there's one of two two situations that are occurring that I that are becoming evident to me as I talk with people in the community. Either there's a a huge lack of awareness of the services that are available, which is fixable. Or some of the services need to be reevaluated to become more robust, and we need to be nimble enough to change the services to match the the type of economy or demand that we're facing uh, to be to be able to meet that. Regardless, I think there's an opportunity for us to better serve our business community, help them thrive. If we help this business community thrive, with small businesses, we have eight thousand six hundred and thirty-eight businesses. If just some of them, because of those efforts, add one employee, we could be poised to have the biggest job growth we've ever had in Fayette County. you're right. And you know what? All 8,638 businesses currently have their footprint. They're likely to be able to add an employee or two without having to need 100 acres, which we're stressed for.
1: All right. We've got limited time here, and uh, I I just want to do a real quick uh, kind of down and dirty here one of the things that most research has shown is that Lexingtonians are fairly satisfied. We're in a, an oasis, if you will, in the U.S. right now where it's not contentious. We're not at each other's throats. We work together. So relatively speaking, people are pretty happy with the way things have been going. But there are issues. How would you identify the top three issues and what, can, what do you propose that we do about them in a short period of time?
2: Okay. I'll try to keep it as short as I can. As I've talked to people throughout the campaign, the, the overwhelming concern on most people's mind are, are crime-related issues. Within that category, there are three things that are on people's mind in a big way. Rising violent crime. Our homicide rate last year, was we had 28, the highest we've ever had in Fayette County. Opioids. The opioid addiction issue here is affecting our lives in ways we don't always stop and think about. It's a huge, huge issue. People are dying. 2016, we lost 162 people to opioid overdose deaths. The costs to the community are astonishing. We don't even know what all they are. It's something we have to get figured out. But in terms of health care costs, mental health costs, public safety costs, uh, on and on and on lost productivity because folks who are addicted can't hold jobs right we're at a low unemployment rate right now and businesses that i've been talking to are having a hard time finding enough people to fill the jobs they have um so because of that and you know that's affecting our productivity with the addiction issues and the third thing is is school safety and that's one that you know fortunately we haven't we haven't been faced with some too many real critical opportunities to think about that until last spring right last spring in a three-week period here in our our schools we had three weeks in a row we had incidents with kids trying to bring guns to school we had a kid in our new high school shoot himself in the hand while sitting in a classroom the week before i think we had a a young man who had an ar-15 assault rifle and 500 rounds of ammunition who was planning to come to school and do bad things fortunately we got the information and working together we're able to intercept that and prevent it from happening but can you imagine what could have happened we could have been on fox news and cnn all day long Uh, and that's not that's not that's not what we we want want. that's not what we want so the days of thinking that those kinds of incidents can happen or happen somewhere else and can't happen here we have to be beyond that it's time we had unapologetic conversations about whatever it's going to take to keep our kids safe the day we can't keep our kids safe in our schools is a sad day for our community. And, you know, we've I know that Superintendent Calk has uh had assembled a, a panel, a group, an advisory council to look at this in the spring. There were six meetings. I attended all six of those. It was a very emotional issue, very important issue. My opponent attended one of the six. And I, I don't I don't know. I thought it was important to do. And I applaud the efforts of that and the work of that committee. Uh, they have some really sound recommendations and things that they're going to do that that I believe will make a difference. And I think as our mayor, I can help make a difference with that too because our school system and, and the performance of our schools and the safety of our kids is a community issue. It's not just a school issue. That's an excuse that people want to want right. to give sometimes when they don't want to accept some responsibility. But we're all in this together, and our schools have to work. Kids have to be safe for our schools to work and have the, the right learning environment. To attract businesses, one of the things businesses are going to look for is whether our schools are working here in Fayette County. They don't want to ask people to come here if the schools aren't going to educate their kids, if they're not living in a safe community, if we're not a diverse and inclusive community and, and that we support workforce development. You know, Why would you come and want to build a company if you didn't know if, if you could hire enough people that had the skills you needed to run it when you right. got here? It's, uh, it's not always rocket science it's no, some common sense there's a lot of
1: common sense so as we wrap up here uh imagine if you will four years from now uh we're at the end of a ronnie Baston mayoral term tell me what happened then and what we're looking forward to at that point
2: well there are a number of things as i see this i want to see downtown continue to thrive and, and move forward to be even better than it is today um uh, and and that's we're underway with that that's going to happen i want to see traffic issues addressed i want traffic flowing in lexington better than we've seen it and i think there are great opportunities to improve traffic flow i want our our safety issues that i just mentioned with violent crime to to subside i want opioids and that addiction rate to subside and if we get the opioid situation under control our violent crime rate crime rates will subside because they're interrelated and i want to i want to make sure that all parents and grandparents and people in this community feel comfortable and safe when they send their kids to school that they're going to come home in the afternoon those are big big issues for us i want people in lexington when i when i ask the question do you feel that the government is of of the people by the people and for the people to say yes when i ask that i want them to see our government uh and the makeup of the folks who are in the government building as a very diverse group and someone that looks like them, that they can role model after and and say, you know, I can do that one day. Um, There are just so many, many good things. I want to see our economy hum. I want to see growth continue with the economy and jobs available for our kids. I want to see our kids want to stay here and not go somewhere else. I want Lexington to be the cool place and the exciting place that other people want to come to. Right.
0: Skip. Our thanks to Lexington Mayor candidate Ronnie Baston. Thank you for being our guest this week. That wraps up this week's Local Matters, brought to you by Citizens Commerce Bank. Switch one time for a lifetime. Join us next time for another edition of Local Matters. You've been listening to Local Matters, the radio show about all things affecting Central Kentucky, brought to you by Citizens Commerce. Switch one time for a lifetime. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of LM Communications Broadcast Media Group affiliates or sponsors.